Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. We're here to chat all things in a big week in the NBA. We got the trade deadline. We got Zion versus Giannis. We got the All-Star Draft. Tons going on. Micah Adams here with you alongside Scott Rafferty and Gil McGregor. Scott, trade deadline. It's your, this is your, your time to shine. I love the trade deadline. I get Who excited about where? it. Yeah. Sorry? Who fits where? Who 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 has the best spot where? That's that that's your specialty, right? I I, I live for these moments. Of and course. it makes me sad that this trade deadline might not be uh might not have a ton going on, but you Well know, you well I'm you say that something. now. Who knows? Come Thursday, it could be absolute chaos. It could. We are gonna talk the biggest trades that these guys wanna see. We're gonna run through Damian Lillard's run for the ages. Is it panic time in Philly? Yet again, it plus all of the drama in Grind City. We're gonna get to all of that and more. Uh, but first, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, we're going to talk about who you guys think will be the best players five years from now. Up on NBA.com right now, we ran a ranking of the top 10 players in the league five years from now, predicting you know who will be the top guy, who got left out. Um, it, it's kind of fascinating in the sense that I think it's actually impossible to do if you would have looked back five years ago and tried the same exercise today, it would look totally different than uh, than the current makeup of the league. I mean, how many people in here would have guessed that Giannis would be the best player in the league five years ago? Yeah. I I mean, certainly not me. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think well, I would have either. Let, let's start with number one, though, because uh, so we had eight different participants uh, submit their top tens. We averaged them all out. The two of you guys actually disagreed at number one. Care to just... I'm just going to let you guys take it from here. Who's the best player in the league in five years? I mean, I have Giannis. Um, just considering his age, how good he already is. He's going to be, I think, just under 30, if not 30, in five years' time. I just He improves every single year. I think he's going to be the best player in the league. Although I will say Luka Doncic isn't far behind him. I had him as number two, and I'm guessing you had him number one. Right? I had Luka as number one. Uh, and pretty much everything you said about Giannis, I, I did have Giannis as number two. I think nobody had Giannis below number two. I, don't think so. I think I think that that was pretty much it for him. So I think we're all uh, kind of on the same page as far as that goes. But What, what tipped the skills what, what, I was going to say, what, what gave Luka the edge with me is just looking at the, the jump he made from year one to year two and thinking just about like if he can make that big of a jump in that year, once he kind of – you know, grows more, gets more accustomed to the NBA game and really has an even better team around him suited for his skills. And that'll probably be in three to four years time. I, I think that his ascension from fringe all-star to MVP candidate in one year makes me feel like he can be like a best player in the world type guy in less than five years. So, so you, you obviously think he could be the best player in the world in five years. You're predicting it, but how good, I mean, is, is are we looking at the the early stages of like, a top five guy ever? I mean, I don't want to go that far and say that, but I mean, I, I did write something earlier in the year before I even knew what he was fully capable of, that he's the best 20-year-old ever. So if he's the best 20-year-old of all time and, and he has some pretty good competition, I don't see why he can't be the best NBA player for a long time considering the fact that his prime is starting so early. So we, we are going to run through the top 10, but first I do want to go through a couple of names that did not make the top 10. Uh, Snubs. The all snub list, no Carl Anthony Towns, no Ben Simmons, no Pascal Siakam, and no Nikola Jokic. Those were the four biggest names that were not included uh, in sort of our, our aggregated top 10. Uh, but let's just blaze through it right now. Tied for 10th, Kawhi Leonard and Devin Booker. Ninth, Donovan Mitchell. Eight, Jason Tatum. Seven, Trey Young. 
six John Morant, five Joel Embiid, four Zion Williamson, three Anthony Davis, two Luka, and Giannis taking home the top spot. What what sort of stands out to you guys among those top 10 uh, or the snubs as sort of the biggest thing that kind of caught your eye? This was really hard, honestly. Um, I, I was talking to Kyle, who, who kind of set this up, Kyle Irving, who's been on the pod plenty of times before. And the fun thing about it is that it, all of our lists were different in certain ways. For example, like Kyle had Jason Tatum in his top five. I didn't even have him on my list. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I think it was such a good way to go about it to get so many people to respond because it really does make for an interesting list at the end of the day. Like I had Kawhi, I think, um, fifth on mine and he's tied 10th with Devin Booker. Um, so the results are just all over the place. So it's, it's just so difficult because I had the, the three out of the four snubs that you mentioned. I had Siakam, Towns and Ben Simmons. Those are the bottom three of my top 10 on mine. And I, Jokic was so hard for me to leave off because I'm such a big Jokic guy. When you look at guys like, like Joel Embiid, for example, if Joel Embiid can stay healthy, he should still be. It's a be. big if though, right? It yeah. is. It's a huge if. Um, but if he can stay healthy, it's going to look silly if we don't have him on our top 10 in five years time. But again, like if he's not, that, that very well could be Jokic's spot. Um, Kawhi, who knows what he's going to be at age 33. I think... The way that he plays, he's not so reliant on athleticism, speed, and things like that. He's just so smart and cerebral that I think he will still be a very dominant player at that time. But again, like injury history with him, is he going to be a top five player? I don't know. So there's just, there's a lot of guessing going into this. Um, But yeah, I I think that's what makes it so much fun. Um, Gil, what about you? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You kind of get caught up in not making it like a rising stars roster. You think, oh, five years time now, like everybody that's 20 and 21 are going to be, you know, ruling the league. But, you know, you have to double back and think about the guys like Anthony Davis and Giannis. Like, they'll, they'll be 30 and 31 years old. They'll still be, you know, pretty much in their primes. Most guys, their primes are from 28 to 31. Um, so act, factoring that in with, with the youth, Kawhi was somebody I considered, and it was just kind of hard to imagine what his game will look like at 33 years old. Like, he could be doing the exact same thing he's doing now, or some of the injuries that have been plaguing him could be something that kind of drags him down. So I did not have him on my list. And Carl Anthony Towns, quite honestly, was a guy who – kind of didn't cross my mind you know I, I am pretty high on him I know we had a um, a center's draft uh, uh, some time back on the pod and I took him first just because of all things I think he can do um, but it's just hard for me to again envision him doing that on a successful team five years from now so that that's kind of what it was it was really difficult um, thinking about the guys who aren't a part of like the new wave of young talent NBA guys who are more established who've been in the league for five or six or seven years and, and kind of factoring them in. A couple yeah. things, by the way, we should know future prospects were not taken into account in this. Sure. So it's just yep. all players in the NBA right now. And another guy that shockingly, I don't think anyone voted for, which is kind of surprising, uh, is James Harden, who will be, I believe, 35 in five years time. It's just interesting to think that the guy who's leading the league in scoring, been an MVP candidate, what? each of the last three or four seasons. And he's an Iron Man of sorts too. I, th- I think one of the, the biggest uh, things that people don't talk about enough when, when chatting James Harden is just his durability mm-hmm. and he's tough and he just doesn't get hurt. And he's a lot of the same things I just said about Kawhi. Like he's not a guy who relies a ton on athleticism or speed and things like that. Like there's no reason why in theory, James Harden can't be hitting step back threes over guys for the next, you know, five years and things like that. Whether or not he's still top 10, I don't know. But it's, it's interesting to me that you know, he wasn't on anyone's list. Yeah, I, the one, I mean, there were a couple that stuck out to me. The, the big one for me which stuck out was the inclusion of Joel Embiid, not only in the list, but at five, and then no Nikola Jokic. I think the two of those in tandem 
Jokic is a year younger, and he's coming off a year in which he finished fourth in the MVP voting. And it's like, at his best, Joel Embiid should be contending for MVPs. Yeah, here's a guy that at the same position that's already contending for MVPs and is younger and was just nowhere to be found. He, as I said, he was the hardest one for me to leave off. And it was one of those things when like, when I went back through this article, read it, what everyone had, and then I read my top 10, I, I had that moment where I was kind of just like, man, I, I should have had Jokic in there. Like it, it did feel wrong to not have him in there. But again, like we are, it, it, it is very hard to, to make some of these decisions. Um, like Carl Anthony Towns, for example, like Gil was saying, I had him in my top 10. Because I think offensively, he's, I mean, I think he has a chance to be the best offensive center we've seen in a long time. Um, the defensive stuff is concerning, but if you put the right team around him, there's, uh, he's, he's just an absolute monster. Yeah, you mentioned Jokic again, and, you know, we kind of talk about people's games aging well, and he's definitely somebody that doesn't rely on athleticism yeah. for anything that he does. Um, and that's kind of, again, somebody who I don't really think about. I guess it's like, this year, the the story behind Denver has kind of been they've left more to be desired, right? But they're still, you know, what, top, they're number two, number three in the Western Conference. So I think that kind of fits in line with everything that we kind of see with him. Like, yeah, he was he definitely had the numbers and everything like that to be uh, that MVP candidate. But I guess it was something in the subconscious that was telling me, like, you know, five years time, it might still be that kind of that plateau where you're waiting for another step. Not to say that if he continues producing the way he's produced for the past, you know, year and a half, two years, in the next five years, that it wouldn't be impressive. But I guess it's just thinking about the guys who I also listed, thinking about them making leaps and growth, kind of passing him up. And I guess that's that's kind of what ultimately led me to not think about him uh, seriously. Well. Were there any other guys sort of in the mold of Harden where you, you think back on, because I think you guys are right in the sense that it can easily turn into the rising stars thing where you just take everyone that's 23 or younger, assume they're all going to be great, and you forget the guys that are still in their prime. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about it more here uh, in a hot minute, but, but I just went through it and nobody had Damian Lillard. Yeah. Yep. Who I know he's 29 now, but I don't know the way he's playing. Uh, enters into the draft the same year as Anthony Davis, who's number three on this list. Now, granted, he's two years older, uh, but it's only two years older. It's not like he's five, six, seven years older. I think Damian Lillard is a guy that, to me, is sort of along the lines of James Harden, somebody that, who knows, like there's same thing. I mean, maybe Steph Curry's a little bit too old here, but that's another guy that's Mm kind of easily forgotten. Kevin Durant. Another yeah. guy, like yeah. I don't know, five years is not that long. That's true. It's, it's not. And Bradley Beal is another another name, another guy I kind of thought of. I don't know. Top ten is probably a bit of a stretch for him, but I mean, he's already. We, we talked about him last week as being an all star snub and everything I like that. But I, he's what twenty six. Yeah. Um. So I can't believe he didn't put Bam. You know, I actually did think about him today. Like after I sent off and yeah. everything, I, I think top ten is probably pushing it for him. But I I I see him as being like a perennial all star and all that. But top ten is. Top 10 guys is, is quite the accomplishment. So I, I don't know if that, that's no disrespect to him for saying he's not going to be in that conversation. I just, I don't necessarily see it over guys like, you know, a Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I had Siakam up there as well and Ben Simmons. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of all of those guys, back to, to the guys like Dame Lillard who, or, or Steph Curry, there's these guys who have like kind of done it 
a specific way and you th- it's, it's just hard to envision it happening. But then five years later, you're like, man, they're still doing it. Like, I'm pretty sure we've all been expecting LeBron to take some type of step back and nobody probably expected him to be a top three player in the world at, at, in his 17th season. So there's always that outlier that it's kind of impossible to, to predict when you take that look into the crystal ball. And Dame Lillard is somebody that I thought about, you know, everybody makes a lot of, of fuss about his contract and that he's going to be making $50 million at the end of it. But I mean, the way it's angling, and again, like you said, we'll talk a little more about it. It, it seems like he's worth every penny of that. So well, yeah. What one of the names I'm surprised didn't get a little bit more buzz here, and nobody nobody wanted to go out on the limb and place him in the top two, is Zion. He finished fourth behind Anthony Davis. Um, I don't know. Do, what is is it so clearly far and away obvious that it's Giannis and Luca and it's everybody else for you guys, or is there a world in which it's actually Zion who's who's the best player in the league in five years? I had him third. I had him third behind Luca and Giannis. Um, but I do think that there is definitely a uh, a, a world as there's a, there's, a, there's a there's a reality that that we could see happening that he lands as being that guy. Um, he's shown us more than a lot of people have ever shown us in five games. But I think that's what held me back. We've seen what what five six mm-hmm. games at the time of recording of of what he's doing, and I didn't want to get too ahead of myself and be like oh man like I've seen six you know I wanted to just make sure I, I but but I did think about you know some of the the most you know phenomenal guys we've seen you know like like LeBron or or like uh you know I know we talked about this earlier how, how awesome Blake Griffin looked early on and those are two ends of the spectrum you know with LeBron showing us everything that he showed he showed us so early in his career and end up being that number one player you know in his third fourth season in the league Zion could very well be that or, or Zion could be a guy who um is a guy who's always within that 10 to 15 range just for the entirety of his career for a very long time uh but I do think third is, is a safe bet for now uh, and maybe after 16 games I, I might put him at number one shout out to Colin Gay by the way yeah here we go here I knew go. I was waiting until we got um, here um last week on the pod I'm I'm not gonna I, I don't know quote for quote what for what, what he said We'll find it. It exists. I think he said Brandon Ingram will never be an all-star again. He he said that he shouldn't have been an all-star this year and everything. Colin was the only person who had Brandon Ingram in his top 10. Wow. That is that is very on brand for him. I really shout out to Colin. I really wish Colin was here to defend himself. Did he have did he have BI higher than than Zion? Um let me see. Probably. (laughs) No, he didn't. He had Zion three, Brandon Ingram ten. Guy wants to blow up the Pelicans, and then he sits here as two top ten guys in the league. Carly, return soon, my man. Return soon. <laughs> um, I I wish, I wish I would have uh, participated here. I think I would have taken the leap and had Zion one or two. I really? think I would have had him over Luca. I think Giannis is clearly far and away. Uh, he's the present. He's the future. I think when it's all said and done. I, I I honestly, in my heart of hearts, think that Giannis is going to go down as like one of the five best players ever. I I could totally I, I don't see it. I don't see how I don't I just don't see how that doesn't happen. Like every every benchmark along the way, I mean he's he's basically like a combination of Shaq and LeBron uh, at the age of twenty five. I mean you you never know the team around him. Maybe he doesn't win enough. You know, I, who knows? He got to win one first, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, the only way he reaches that top five ever, kind of land, is if he's winning three, four, five, six championships. 
But I think talent-wise, what he does on both ends of the floor, I think Giannis is so far, in a way, better than everybody else that it doesn't, I don't even give any pause. Zion, though, I do think, um, I mean, we, we were watching some of his highlights earlier and just laughing at the fact that this dude is 19 years old. He's five games into his career, and literally nobody can stop him. Like, mm-hmm. you can't, there's no answer for him. Now, yeah. maybe the answer is he can't shoot free throws and he never learns how to shoot, but, like, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you guard that guy. So something I wrote for NBA.com over the weekend was kind of a five-game check-in for him, and the big thing that stood out for me, like, I, I truly think this is the baseline for Zion, right? And he's already averaging close to something like 27 points and 13 rebounds per 36 minutes. Now, obviously, it's different doing that in a smaller sample size than it is doing it over an entire season and in real minutes and everything like that. But he's already just so such a good cutter, so good getting out in transition. He's already so physically dominant. At the age of 19, he's bullying guys. He's blown by centers off the dribble. In that Rockets game over the weekend, he was matched up with P.J. Tucker who's one of the biggest, strongest power forwards in the league. And I think in a vacuum, you'd think he's probably the best kind of player to guard Zion right now. And there were at least three or four times in that game where he's getting around P.J. Tucker in the post, scoring on him and things like that. The stuff that he's already doing is just, is just so impressive. And I think if he can continue to add to this, and I don't think there's any reason to believe that he can't, um, I mean, he's, he's going to be a star. He's going to be a superstar. So why isn't he higher than Luca? I mean, Luca's really, really good too. That's the thing. <laughs> Luca is really, really good, and I also think he's a god. Luca's a god, so he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. And I just think he's already kind of proven to be the kind of guy at this young age who can do literally make every single shot and every single read that someone needs to have with the ball in their hands. Um, so to think, you know, when he has the perfect team around him, once he fine tunes all the skills and like that, um, I think he has the chance to be a probably a better offensive player than Zion. Now, if Zion actually reaches its full potential defensively, then maybe that becomes, you know, part of the conversation, everything like that. Because like what you were saying, Giannis is just so dominant on both ends of the court. Like you have to acknowledge that. And that factors into all of this. So if Zion Williamson, Williamson can kind of be, you know, a big time two-way player, um, that could give him the edge of where, Luka. Where I th- when I think about Zion's potential and why I think, look, who, maybe it's Luka that ends up being a top five guy ever. I don't, I don't even know. Maybe it's all three of them. I I mean, we're, we're kind of in uncharted territory yeah, here yeah. with three guys that have, like, goat-level mm-hmm. ceiling here. Um, but the thing with Zion and why I think I, I just like him more than Luka long-term, we've seen Luka. Like, we've seen James Harden. We've seen LeBron James. We've seen these ball-dominant guys who kind of control everything, right? Like, that's become that, that's just sort of in vogue in the modern NBA. Right, like there are versions of Luka Doncic that are in the league right now that have come before him that will come in the future. With Zion, like it's sort of like a little bit like Embiid in the sense that there's just nobody else like him, and he can completely destroy everything about your roster. Like there just might be times when you just throw up your hands and say, like, if there's only three guys in the league that can guard him, and you don't have one of those three guys. What the hell do you do? Yeah. And that's where, like, to me, Zion is a little bit different than Luca for all the shot making brilliance. And he's an amazing passer, incredible feel for the game. Like, he's going to win at least one MVP award. Luca's amazing. I just think that he's not on the level of Zion in terms of uh, the, the amount, the, the just sheer volume of matchup nightmares 
that he presents on the floor. I I don't think there's anything like it. Maybe outside of Embiid, but I will say I don't know. the injury stuff has to be taken into account too. You it know, does, like yeah. whether or not Zion can stay healthy, and I really hope he does for his whole career. Um, but Luca, aside from a couple ankle sprains this year, has been a very durable player throughout his career. So that that's probably another thing that. Not even like, you know, subconsciously going through this and having him ahead of that, that, that probably factored in it for me. Yeah, I think <clears throat> you made the point with, with his being a guard as well. And you, you kind of looking at this year and why the Mavericks are such a surprising team. You kind of looked at that roster on paper and you thought, I mean, like, how good are they really going to be? Nobody really expects him to be where they are. And I think that's kind of a testament to the fact that he can control the game so much. And I do think that Zion's accolades and what he's able to achieve over the next five years is going to be very dependent on the team that's put around him. So I think that's what was uh, essentially my reluctance to put it, because not necessarily a distrust of the guys around him or even the front office in, in New Orleans, but you see there's so many variables and like guys around him staying healthy, guys around him realizing their potential, allowing him to really work and operate to his best of his abilities and we see what he's capable of. So I guess he could still be, you know, number one talent wise, but he not, might not necessarily see exactly what he's capable of. Whereas with Luca, I don't think it matters who you put around him. He's going to create and control the game and dominate the pace to where he makes everybody around him better. I think that ultimately gives him yeah. the, the nod. Well, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, one thing is for certain, the NBA is in a phenomenal place with all the young talent. Think about all those names we just listed and the ones that we even didn't uh, list. And uh, it's going to be fun, man. Uh, So before we dive into trades, we're going to run through the four-point play. We're going to go through the biggest stories from around the league. I'm going to ask you guys a simple question. and, uh, And yeah, we'll go from there. So let's start fact or fiction. Damian Lillard has entered the MVP discussion. When you say the MVP discussion, do you mean top five candidates? What do you, no, okay. It's left okay. open to interpretation. For me, I still have Giannis in some order. Giannis number one, but after that, LeBron, Harden, Luka, and then Kawhi. Those are my top five in MVP So right fiction. Now. So he's not So in. fiction, but I think it's, I mean, you're not going to give MVP to a guy who's not making the playoffs and the Blazers are still outside of the playoffs, right? So fiction. Pick yeah, but I'm explaining, my, I'm explaining why it's fiction. <laughs> Pick which word, though. It's, it's fiction, a- but he has a chance to crack the top five if he continues this way. Gee. I'm, I'm going with fact. I'll, I'll go fact because they got to get into this discussion somehow. And if they do get into discussion, it will be purely because of this insane run that he's on right now. And I think that's worthy enough of getting in some conversation. Again, like you said, if he keeps it up, um, there is no doubt in my mind, but based on what I've seen so far, and just that it has them right on the on the on the fringe of being a playoff team. Fact. And just and just for the record, Damian Lillard's last six games: forty-eight point eight points, ten point two assists, seven point two rebounds. Perhaps most importantly, the Blazers are five and one over that stretch. And in the two games prior to that, he dropped thirty-four in back-to-back games too. So it's not. I mean, it's it's more than just six games. He's the first player in NBA history to average 45 points in tennis over any six-game stretch ever. Uh, shout out ESPN Stats and Info for that one. Um, the, playoff, the playoff odds are it's an important part of this discussion. And it's why, to me, regardless of how amazing he's been, it, it's fiction. <laughs> Damian Lillard is not in the MVP discussion. Uh, 538 has Portland's odds at 52% to make the playoffs now probably higher than maybe most people would expect as recently as two weeks ago, those odds were at 21%. Yeah. So that's what a hot two weeks can do. They currently project uh 538 does Portland to finish 41 and 41 
That would be the worst record ever for an MVP. Russell Westbrook won it for the six-seed Thunder uh, back in 2017. That team won 47 games. This Portland team is not getting to 47. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what what does, if he's not now, what does Damian Lillard have to do to legitimately enter the discussion where we're talking about him in the same sentence as Giannis and LeBron? I mean, similar production on a team that's actually winning and competing, right? I think that's... that's so they got to yeah. win like 20 in a row. Oh, you're saying like this season? Like this season. He, I, People I, know. I think we know he's good enough to win one. Look, I think if they get to the seventh or eighth seed in the West, like he could crack the top five. That's kind of what I was getting at. But I don't... He's not He's not going to finish top three. I, I really have a hard time believing he's going to finish top three if the Blazers don't get higher than... If they don't leapfrog like Dallas, Houston... Um, in the middle of the Western Conference standings. I just don't see it. Okay, that's fair enough. All right, moving on to the second one. The Toronto Raptors have won 11 straight games entering their home-and-home home with the Indiana Pacers. They're currently on pace to win 59 games after winning 58 last season. Of course, this team does not have someone by the name of Kawhi Leonard or Danny Green. So, another factor fiction. The Toronto Raptors are the biggest threat to the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference. Fiction, I think it's the Sixes still. Still, I, I still. Wow, I, you know, I well, make this more about the Raptors though, because we're going to get into the Sixers here. Okay, um, I mean, I think the Raptors aren't far behind, and you know, they played against um, Giannis in the playoffs last year, so they they kind of know how to game plan for him. Obviously, though, they're missing the primary defender on him, which was Kawhi Leonard in that series. So I just, I do think, I mean, I pick. And this might be a simple way of looking at it. If the Bucks and the Raptors win a playoff series right now, I would pick the Bucks to win in probably like six or something, like pretty pretty confidently, I think. Whereas I'd have to think about it more with the 76ers just because of how the Sixers match up with them. So it's strictly a matchup thing. It's yeah, no, it's strictly a matchup thing. It's not thing. a no, which no, no, no. team is actually the second best strictly, team. In the strictly East a matchup thing. Okay. Gil. I'm gonna go with a fact. They are the biggest threat to the Bucks. Um not, not on top of the fact that Kawhi is gone and Danny Green's gone, they have been one of the most injury riddled teams all year. And I think the benefit of that is a lot of guys are learning how to step up and they know how to have their role. Nick Nurse is a guy uh, who's not afraid to kind of go against the grain with some of the quirky things he does. And I think he will be able to, I guess, as much as he possibly can, make up for not having Kawhi and throw some some weird defensive looks, uh, make the other guys try to beat him. Um, and I think that their depth has really benefited from guys having to step up, that next man up mentality, uh, whether it's, you know, and, and some of these guys might not be there after the trade deadline, but you have, you know, Norman Powell's and, and Chris Boucher's, Patrick McCall's, Terrence Davis, guys who beyond that starting lineup have stepped up. And if they can outplay, you know, the Pat Connaughton's and George Hill's of, of on the Bucks roster and then make it a thing where, you know, Giannis is less efficient or something like that, then the Raptors have a chance to, to extend a series of seven and, in game seven, anything can happen. So I'm about to completely contradict myself <laughs> uh, because I actually, I do think the Raptors are actually the biggest threat to the Bucks in the East. I think fully healthy. I, they just have, they have so many answers. They got so many guys that can do things. I'm not sure they actually really have a weakness, which is weird. Like I, I think you can point to a bunch of different teams and point to like Boston's lack of size, right? You could point to, uh, Philly's outside shooting and the, and the weird fit with all the players. You can point to specific areas with lots of different teams and say, that's the one thing that this team sucks at, or that will be the one reason that this team falls short. For the Raptors, short of it just being strictly talent, I don't know what the answer is because they can win any style. They have about six or seven dudes that could 
just take over a game at any at any minute's notice. And yet, they're also they're twenty nine and two against teams under five hundred. They are just seven and twelve against teams with winning records. They're one and two against Boston, zero oh and two against Miami, zero oh and one against Indiana going into this home and home, zero oh and one against the Bucks. They are two and one against Philly. They are a combined twenty three and zero against the Hawks, Bulls, Hornets, Pistons, Nets, Wizards, Cavs, and Magic. So a lot of this record is hanging their hat on the fact that this is a really experienced team that just they're well-prepared and they take care of business against the teams that they should take care of business against. All that said, I trust them, man. I will say this. One thing that I've said before on the pod is that the, the next step for Siakam is to kind of be able to score consistently against the best defenders in the league yeah. when he's matched up with like an Anthony Davis, a Giannis and things like that. And when you talk about a playoff series between them, I mean, it does not take a degree in rocket science to, to realize how important Kawhi was to that stretch last season. Yeah. And he won so many games for them in that series against the Bucks just because he'd take over in the second half and things like that. So they need, I, they do have Kyle Lowry. They have Fred Van Vliet. They have guys who have stepped up in big moments before. I still think they need Siakam to be that number one option and prove that he can consistently get a shot against those types of defenders to beat a team like the Bucks in the playoffs. It's yeah. Cr- yeah, go yeah, ahead. Like, and that's the thing. I, I think that you talked about the weaknesses. I think that it's not like a tangible thing to say like they need like a, a guy who you know because like that bucket getter when you need a bucket. Like what Kawhi is like. What Kawhi was, you can't really necessarily like rap and just give it like a title to say what it was. But like, <laughs> yeah. but like you know, when when it's when you're when you're down two or it's a tie ball game and you you haven't made a field goal in, in you know over a minute or two and you need this bucket, you know, you just put it in his hands. And you don't have to call a play or whatever. You just make something happen. They like Pascal has to develop into being that guy before you have that full confidence and because that's what the playoffs are about, right? You know, you know, you, you see the same team five, six, seven times, and all you're doing is making adjustments, and you know the other team's playbook up and down. How Who's the guy who's going to break the play and go get that bucket? And the question is, is Pascal Siakam going to be that guy this year? Is he a year away? I think he can be that guy. Is it going to be this spring, that, you know, when the playoffs start, is he going to have that in his arsenal already? I think that's the biggest thing that, that kind of – because you see it sometimes. A lot of times there have been some some games, and that's another thing that's been a weakness of them this year. They've let teams back in the game. And I think part of it has been, you know, when they need that bucket, when things are kind of going awry, just, you know, calm them down, give it to the guy's hands. So I think that's the big thing that is keeping me from saying, oh, they can get past the Bucks. I mean, one, one of the biggest impl- oversimplifications ever, but it's also true, is so how many times have we seen it just boils down to whether or not you have the best player? Yeah, like there's yeah. a reason LeBron reached the finals eight years in a row in the East. It's because he was so far and away better than any other individual player in his conference that it just didn't matter. Yeah. Like some of those Cavs teams around him were not good teams, mm-hmm. right? And so I I wonder if that's going to be the case with Giannis, where it's just he is so much better than everybody else yeah. that it it just doesn't matter. Um, I don't know. I, I just I, I look at Toronto and I see the totality of what they can do on both ends of the ball. And I agree that they don't really have right now that guy that you trust broken play against the set defense, final two minutes, you give the ball to him and you get out of the way. Mm-hmm. There's probably like five or six guys in the East I'd take before anyone on Toronto. Um, that said, I, there might not be a team I trust more defensively. Yeah. Uh, yep. There might not be a yeah. team I trust to make more adjustments mid-series as I mean, that's what won him the NBA title last year. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That Toronto is uh, certainly one of the brightest stories in the league. But moving on now to the team 
that Scott thinks is the biggest threat to the Milwaukee Bucks. We're talking, of course, about the Philadelphia 76ers. They've lost three in a row. They just got the the doors blown off uh, against Miami. That was the worst loss they have ever had in a game in which both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid played. Um, things have not looked good. And Philly, three straight bad losses. So, it's a simple question. You can only pick one. Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? It's not a simple question. It's a simple question. <laughs> Gil, you want to take this one? Because I, I, I still don't know. It, it, it's not a simple question in the fact that... There's only two both, answers. Well, uh, of the, course it's a simple question. Both answers can be right. Both answers could be wrong. There's so many pros and cons. But to simplify it, I went with Ben Simmons. Um, I deliberated, debated internally a lot about it. But um, I just went... It, it boiled down to... Um, him, him as a defender, him as a playmaker, and his durability. Uh, we've seen it this year. Connor Joel Embiid has, has, has dealt with uh, various ailments, whether it's been you know <clears throat> his hand. Um, he's had issues with his knees. He's had uh, issues with his stomach that have kept him from playing games. Um, so I think I just see you know the best ability ability is availability, and I think that Ben Simmons again projects to be one of those top ten guys we talked about in, in five years. Um, and I ultimately just. Gave him the nod. But if you ask me this five days from now, I might, I might say Joel Embiid. I think I would change my opinion on this answer for 25 straight days in a row if you were to ask me. I think I've already changed my opinion 25 times in the last like six hours. So, so, so who are you on this, this Simple moment question, right? in time? You know what? I had Embiid ahead of Ben Simmons on my best player in five years' time, so I'll take Embiid. And it's like the Embiid at his peak, right? Embiid as in when he's healthy and he's playing his best, I don't have any doubt that he's the better player than Ben Simmons. But what makes this so hard is like you were saying, Gil, the fact that he's in and out of the lineup, he's had injury histories, things like that. Ben Simmons is out there every single night. It just makes it very difficult. Um and we've said it before, like Ben Simmons, if he ever develops a jump shot, which who knows if he will? He could be an MVP in the league. He has not made one shot outside of the paint since December 8th. It's and he great. has taken 350 shots it's not since great. then. Uh, not one make outside the paint. Not so, from three. Bad. Outside the paint. So, and also the other thing is, too, if you ask me, aside from the fact that he hasn't made a shot out of the, outside of the paint, what feels like in months, um, my answer would have very clearly been Embiid if you asked me this like two months ago. But the way that Ben Simmons played when, when, when Embiid went out kind of closed this for me because I think Ben Simmons really stepped up and showed what he's capable of. Um, when, you know, he, he, the offense is running through him and he kind of has full control. I still just like Embiid because I think his ceiling is high. I, I can't believe that I'm about to say this. You're saying Ben Simmons. I, I love I'm, it. I'm going to say Ben Simmons. I love it. Um, look, nobody has been harder on Ben Simmons' complete lack of development than I have. I think it's an absolute joke that he still can't shoot. It's the biggest hole of any good player in the entire league, and it's not even close. And it's all on him. I don't want to hear that it's Brett Brown. I don't want to hear about the fit with Joel Embiid. I, I don't want to hear of anything other than Ben Simmons get in the gym and learn how to shoot. That said, I, I know. So when Joel Embiid is locked in, he's the best defensive player in the league, and yep. he's an unstoppable post-up scorer. Yep. Okay, post-up scoring... It, it, whatever, it's going away, it's dying breed, but there's nobody like him. Ben Simmons, at his best, has the potential to be the best defensive player in the league. And while Joel Embiid might be uh, in a vacuum better, I would rather build my team around the guy who can guard 
the LeBrons of the world, who can guard the Kawhis of the world, who can guard the Luka Doncic's of the world. In an NBA Finals, Ben Simmons not only can be your guy offensively running it through him. Can he, though? More on that in a minute. <laughs> he can guard He can guard everybody. Like, like Joel Embiid, if you're going to be the best player in the league, when at, at the most crucial moment of a game, can you guard the other team's best player with a championship on the line? I don't, I don't know. He's pretty nimble. Like, he is nimble. For, for his size and everything, he's actually pretty good at guarding so guys down game, the perimeter. Game 7, NBA Finals. You're down. You're up one. LeBron's dribbling at the top of the key, clearing out. Are you putting Joel Embiid on him, or are you putting I Ben mean, Simmons on him? I mean, obviously, I'm putting Ben Simmons on him. I'm just saying, like, look, I, we saw we saw Ben Simmons completely fall apart and disappear at the end of tight playoff games last year. And until he does it, I, he 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 shouldn't deserve any any benefit of the doubt that he's capable of doing it. And yet. Here I am saying I'd rather have him over freaking Joel Embiid because, like, again, man, ab- availability is a great ability. Uh, Joel Embiid, just, he shoots too many threes. He, he doesn't show up in shape. The effort wanes. Like, it, the, the best version of himself is better than the best version of Ben Simmons, but the best version of, him sh- of himself only shows up 50% of the time. He was awful in that playoff series loss last year. However. If, no, no, not however. <laughs> if Nikola Jokic did what Joel Embiid did in last year's playoffs, he wouldn't hear the end of it. He'd be a running, he'd be a running joke until he proved otherwise. Joel Embiid had one good game and was terrible the rest of that series against Toronto. I know that the on-off court numbers say that That's they were way better. <laughs> I know they do, but it doesn't matter. That the what game, do you mean it doesn't matter? No, it's not. It's the National Basketball Association. It's not the national. My team performed better with me on the court than off the court. Ball Association. At some point, you have to put the ball in the basket, show up, and not disappear. I don't need Joel Embiid to be a glue guy. I'm not looking for Shane Battier, but seven feet tall. I'm trying to pull up the numbers right now. The numbers, if I remember correctly, they're outrageous. It, they it, are. Yeah, they it are. wasn't even just like they. Oh yeah, I have them right here. God, put in totals. I know this makes for great, great radio. So is it is it time? Oh, no, no, no. Wait. Would you want to be on the court in that series if I have done this correctly? They were plus 90. With him on the bench, minus 109. It's not, not great. And he played terribly. I know. But the impact from him on both ends of the court is still outrageous even when he doesn't play badly. And I still think kind of what you were getting at. If Embiid is not playing well offensively, he still does things like he draws so much attention. He's such a big body. He hits the offensive glass and things like that. That you can still be a positive on that, on that end of the court. If Ben Simmons is not playing well offensively, he's kind of a zero at shout, this point. Shout out to my guy, Kevin Gandhi, huge Sixers fan, uh, sports center anchor. He made the, the uh, comparison to, are we going to remember Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons as this generation's Shaq and Penny? And just wonder, like, what if? Why couldn't they win? Why couldn't they stick together? Now, I know that's different but because Shaq left as a free agent, but like, I kind of, I kind of see it. I mean, yeah. I don't think they're gonna win together. No, I don't think so either. I think the the fit is just not. It, it just doesn't really work. And I don't know if it's just a matter of like if they had someone who was a better fit in Al Holford's position, maybe that makes up for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But the two of them together, it's just it's so awkward in today's NBA that it, it just makes it so difficult. It, it is such a rehashed. It's such a grind. Like every tired, game is such a grind for them. I am so sick and tired of talking about how the two of them don't fit next to each other. And yet there's a reason we keep talking about it. It's because it's so important to the overall 
landscape of the league. Like it could determine a champion. It could determine champions for the next 10 years. These guys are going to be in our, in our basketball lives for a long time. And if they can't figure this out, like that, there's a reason that we keep talking about it because it's a big deal. I mean, yeah, it's a big. It's also a big deal for my preseason finals pick. I mean, I want to be right. I had them going against the Clippers, and Carlin had them in like one of his six preseason. They're one of them. One of his six. <laughs> one, um, one of the one, one of one of the multiple ones. But yeah, Carlin Gay catching a lot of flack. <laughs> but but honestly, though, you kind of mentioned that, and I remember that's kind of what the conversation was when they brought in Al Horford this offseason. They kind of talked about well, he can play when Embiid's out, or he can he can play those minutes or whatever. But the other side of it was. Ben Simmons is kind of at his best when he's playing fast, and he can't do that with either of them on the floor. And it just seems like I don't know if it's like a, a different player or they just kind of went down a path in which they are kind of – I mean, they're they paying a lot of guys a lot of money now, but the way that they constructed the team didn't pan out the way they envisioned it panning out, and now yeah. they're kind of in this position you know, where they are paying a, a lot of guys a lot of money, and they kind of have to roll the dice and just see if they can get that advantageous matchup in the playoffs and, and, and take advantage of having their size and the fact they match up well with the Bucks, like Scott said. And that's the thing. It's like they've been a huge disappointment this season – I think they need to do something at the trade deadline. And yet I still think they are best suited to beat the Bucks in a series just because they have so much size and length like we saw on Christmas Day. That was one game. But they just have so much size and length to throw at Giannis and to slow him down. And I think if you're going to beat the Bucks, that's how you beat them. The 76ers are the weirdest team uh, I just ever. It's, they're a weird team and the insolvable puzzle. Uh, one more before we get on to trades. So... Andre Godala is apparently ready to sit out the season if he's not traded. Memphis doesn't want to buy him out. They, they don't want to let him go for free. Uh, at the same time, Andre Godala is making about $17 million this season, which makes him hard to trade. Dylan Brooks is tweeting, quote, I can't wait till we find a way to trade him so we can play him and show him really what Memphis is all about. John Morant is, quote, tweeting that, saying it for, for Lowe's louder in the back here. So for you guys, Whose side are you on, Andre Iguodala or the Memphis Grizzlies? The Memphis Grizzlies. Why? Iguodala doesn't have a case here? I don't know. Like, it'd be fun if he was playing on this team right now, don't you think? I, They've I been agree. such a huge surprise. They're probably, like, the best team to watch on a night-to-night basis on League Pass. If they had a 3-and-D guy who could lock up opposing wings and, and get out in transition, all this kind of thing, it'd be so much fun. So I, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Memphis' side here. And one, one quick note on this, by the way, which I think is interesting. John Hollinger, who used to work with the uh, in the front office of the Grizzlies, he had a good tweet today that was saying that he kind of needs to be careful what he does here um, because Charlotte a few years ago with Ben Gordon, they cut him on March 2nd. Um, this is what Hollinger tweeted, saying that he they cut him at a point where he wasn't playoff eligible um, to prevent him from being able to sign with the team and play in the playoffs. And it's kind of gotten to a point, like I would not be, the Grizzlies have been saying all season long that they're not going to buy him out. They want to trade him. They're adamant about trading him. But if they don't get a trade um, by the trade deadline, I do kind of want to know if they just kind of let him sit out the entire season and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm right with you, first off, that I'm, I'm on the Grizzly side uh, with this. Uh, I was kind of reading because it was seems like it's gaining a lot more steam. Even before the Dylan Brooks quote yesterday, I saw Jared Dudley, you know, a consummate NBA veteran, just talking about Andre Iguodala's um, place in this league as a veteran and the fact that he is Asian and the Grizzlies had an understanding prior to the season, but the whole $17 million comes into play. Um, and that, that, mean, that means something. It's hard to move. Uh, but I think about... Chris Paul in Oklahoma City. And obviously, Andre Godala is no Chris Paul, but Chris Paul had every reason to say, I don't want to be a part of a rebuild, uh, whatever, whatever, et cetera. 
But he goes and he just, like he says, he's just having fun hooping. He's playing alongside Shea Gillis Alexander. And Memphis, along with Oklahoma City, are two of the biggest surprises in the league this year. And why not go and, and play? And, and who knows? Chris Paul is, I mean, I don't think Andre Godal had to do anything to, to raise his stock back up. But Chris Paul has raised his stock. Who knows if he'll be on the move at the deadline. He might still be there. But the Thunder are a fun team. and They'll be fun to watch in the playoffs. And Nico Dalla for, for a Grizzlies team who was at 500 after 50 games, who could very well be the eighth seed, they could be a team that could give a number one seed a tough time. They'd be a tough out. They wouldn't eliminate the Lakers or the Clippers or the Nuggets, whoever it would be, but they would be a tough out if they were to have him, like Scott said, with all the things he brings to a team. So that, that March 2nd thing is very interesting considering the fact that one of the teams he considered going to would be the Lakers or the Clippers. That would be making things diff- more difficult for the for the Grizzlies, so maybe they wouldn't end up doing that to where he isn't playoff eligible so they won't have to face him in the postseason. I, I, think, you hit, I think you hit bingo. With the Chris Paul analogy, because it's 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 perfect. I mean, it's, it's the it's just showing what being a consummate pro can do under any circumstance. And I I feel like Iguodala is someone that has as uh, up until this season kind of been revered as a Jared Dudley type, as a Chris Paul type, as a great locker room guy, a setting influence, championship experience. He's been there. He's former All Star. He's a glue guy. He does everything that you would want. Uh, and he had an opportunity here in Memphis to play on this exciting young team. Now, granted, I think if he would have known, if he knew that this team was going to be this good, right? I, I don't. I think he would have been in the lineup back in October, mm-hmm. and we probably wouldn't be having a discussion. There's also a case that if he does play like Chris Paul, maybe he would have have boosted his trade value up to the point where that seventeen and a half million like dollars that, yeah. isn't sticker shock, right? Yeah. Like. Uh, OKC's not going to trade Chris Paul, but could they trade him right now after the season he's he's put together? They might be able yeah. to, right? I mean, there's a far better chance that they do that now than six right. months ago. Exactly, and that's because he he did exactly, Gil, what you just said. He he embraced the challenge of playing through, showing up to work, doing his job, and like it kind of sucks that we don't get to see Andre Godala out there. However, I would also like to point out, I, I feel like we're... Th- we're the the basketball world is collect is collectively thinking like Andre Godala is thirty one years old and that the version that comes back whether it's this season with the Lakers or Clippers or Rockets or whoever trades for him like twenty fifteen Igadala is not the one walking <laughs> through the door he's thirty six years old like he's he basically been like a thirty percent three point shooter each of the last two years he had one good game. In last year's playoffs, it was a pretty big. Game it was a well. big game. <laughs> no, it was. It was. It was it a was. big game. But like, let's not pretend that like the version of Andre Godala that's out there now is the one that the one that won Finals MVP and the one that went out. Like, are we? Are you one hundred percent sure that Andre Godala could like close out a Finals game right now? So here's the thing with him: you really only need him for like like whichever if it's the Lakers or Clippers, you're basically signing him to play what 15 20 minutes a game and pretty much do one thing, which is match up with the opposing team's best wing yeah. player, right? And I think he's just such a smart player that I do kind of have confidence that he can do that. Whether or not he can do all the other things he was doing in Golden State that made him such a valuable role player, whether it's, you know, making plays off the dribble, setting up guys, knocking down threes at a decent rate, I don't know, but I do think he can still make an impact defensively. I'd be surprised if he couldn't. I think his playmaking will still be there a little bit, not necessarily beating people off the dribble, but that that savvy, that that <clears throat> that basketball IQ is something that gets sharper and doesn't go away. So, 
as a defender, as a passer, I think that, and then just as a presence, you know, whether, um, I think the Clippers especially, uh, I mean, they do have Kawhi and Paul George, but the whole talk of culture the entire year, I think he'd be a guy who could kind of be a calming force with, uh, I won't say it was a discord in their locker room, but with a lot of the, everybody being on different pages right now, I think he could be a guy who can kind of calm things down a little bit. And then I think he just would make me a little more, if I'm if I'm the Lakers, just feel a little more more calm about everything. Um, you know, there's been a lot of questions about them not having enough or having an extra piece. I think that the little bit of extra that he does answers a few questions that they have. But there do there are questions. You know, how can he give you 15, 20 minutes? Is it, is it going to be nine to twelve minutes rather? And yeah. does that is that enough to make a difference? So I think those questions are very real questions for a thirty six year old. And the other thing about that. For a team like the Lakers, the Clippers, maybe they don't even use them until the finals. You know, yeah. it's like it's one of those things. Maybe you're just doing it for a matchup, for a, a specific matchup. So I still think he can make a difference. But I think the point that you're making is is very fair. Um, and we probably are understating, you know, the situation that he's in, his age and everything like that. If he was, if he, I, I legitimately think if he, if he was good enough and teams were confident that he'd be able to deliver, a trade would have gotten done by now. I mean, they're asking for a first round pick, right? It's a, it's a lot, right? It is quite a lot. I mean, it is quite a lot for a guy who's only going to play a few months. Yeah. And, and then just the money, like 17 yeah. months. It's a big number to get to. Who knows? Maybe Andre Godala is one of the big names traded uh, when the trade deadline shows up Thursday afternoon. Lots of big names in, uh, uh, being floated out there. D'Angelo Russell, Clint Capella, Andre Drummond, Derek Rose. Um, potentially someone much larger that we don't even know of, right? Shocking things do have. Maybe Chris Paul gets moved. Uh, maybe Kevin Love gets moved. So with the trade deadline around, we're not going to go through every team and say who could trade for what because honestly, there's a million different scenarios. But I want each of you guys to give me the one trade that you most want to see happen between now and the trade deadline on Thursday. I want to see Drew Holiday play for the Nuggets. I Wow, okay. Um, it's not... The, the thing that would hold that trade up, assuming the Pelicans are even you know, ready to, to trade Holiday is whether or not the Nuggets would trade Michael Porter Jr. Because it would probably take salary-wise, Gary Harris is a starting point, and then you add Michael Porter Jr. on top of that being, you know, the trade asset that they want. I don't know if Denver, apparently Denver has said that he's totally untouchable, which we talked about him last week when we were talking about him being a snub for the Rising Stars. Super talent and everything like that. I just think Drew Holiday on this Nuggets team, he gives him another playmaker a guy who can play on and off the ball. He should fit in really well with Jokic being able to cut and everything like that. And he's a nasty defender, which you need against guys like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, all those guys in the Western Conference. I think Drew Holiday would tie everything together perfectly in Denver to the point where they could actually compete. In the does, West. He, does he move the needle enough to give up Michael Porter Jr.? Like, are they a Drew Holiday away from, like, we can win the NBA title? I don't know if you if you make that trade if it's for sure that the Nuggets are in that position, but I do think it gives them a much higher chance of competing this season and next season. So I ultimately think it depends on if the Nuggets actually think they're one piece away or if they're thinking we're more likely to compete in four or five years' time, by which point Michael Porter Jr. will probably be the better player. Could you imagine a Pelicans team with Zion, Michael Porter Jr., and Brandon Ingram? It'd be fun. It'd be, it'd be three, three top 10 guys in five years' time, maybe. There we go. <laughs> Carlin definitely thinks so. Gil, what about you? Uh, on my end, I, 
Derek Rose and the Purple and Gold uh, out to LA. We've talked about it a lot. Um, ran into some issues just thinking about making it work specifically. D Rose is making about seven and a half million dollars of the MLE this year, um, and obviously everybody's been talking about the the one piece that the Lakers can move is Kyle Kuzma. He doesn't move the needle salary wise. He's making about two million dollars, and then you have Javale McGee, Contavious Caldwell Pope, and Rajon Rondo all have um, no trade clauses in their contracts. So. Playing around with the machine, the only thing that really worked, uh, at least the first thing I saw that worked, would be Kuzma and um, Avery Bradley for for Derrick Rose. Would the Lakers want to do that? I think as constructed, you looked at when they missed out on Kawhi this offseason, they kind of had to quickly put all the pieces together. And every single piece, however small or big, kind of seems to have a very specific role for them. And you risk kind of losing everything that you've kind of built the, the way their team is constructed. But Derrick Rose answers and checks a lot of boxes for what their weaknesses are, a guy who can create for himself and create for others. The offense kind of stalls when LeBron's not on the floor. And I think Derrick Rose answers a lot of those questions, especially the way he's been playing this season. Der- Derrick Rose is, I'm glad you brought him up. He's one of the names that I think the last month or so, I've, I've really been, I, I agree with you. I want Derrick Rose on a team that uh, is going to be making noise in the playoffs because I just, I think the way he's playing, it would be really fun to see him on a team like the Lakers that that need another sort of playmaker or, or like on Dallas. I just it's it's uh you know, it's a, there's a little bit of an elephant in the room, right? With everything that's gone on with the Lakers, whether or not that they decide that they're going to make any cha- any changes right. at all, any trades, I don't know. It, it's, um, it's it's tough to navigate to see if whether or not they do that. I I could very well see a way in which they they do the buyout market. I think that might be the best way to go about things, given everything they've they've had a, yeah. a tough last few weeks as a as an organization. Um. So so ultimately, that that might be the direction they decide to go. Um. If somebody is made available in the buyout market, and you never know. There's also like that small chance that Demarcus Cousins is to come back from from his injury. You can't necessarily rule that out. He went down and. In August, um, eight month timeline would be right when the playoffs start, which isn't necessarily the best time yeah. to bring somebody back to action, but that could be the X factor that does a little bit of everything from the center position. So, uh, with your eyes out to, to LA and the Lakers making that title run this year, there are a couple ways they can go about doing some things. All right, and they might pick up Darren Collison as well. That's, that's very true. Yeah, that's, true. Yeah. Um, that's another guy. Not not as explosive as Derrick Rose, obviously, but he was very solid last year. Would be a nice addition to their second unit and a guy who could maybe close out games if yeah. they needed. And he would play. Him. He would exactly play that role that yeah. you would expect Derrick Rose. He's got to play. fresh legs too. Hasn't played in a while. You know what? What trade I'm kind of coming around to? What do you got? Andre Drummond to the Clippers. I'm fascinated by this trade. Is, would it be Trez? Well, so the difficulty with it is that you'd have to do, you're either doing Mo Harkless and Patrick Beverly. That works. I don't think they'd probably give up Patrick Beverly in I that situation. Yeah, I don't either. So then the other option is basically like Harkless, Zubach, and then Harrell. Um, I, I actually mentioned it as an option in my trade destination to Drummond when it was first reported that he could be on the move. And I kind of shot it down. And I explained it and I kind of shot it down. I was like, I don't know if this really moves the needle enough for the Clips to do something like this. And I'm kind of coming around on it. Coming I think around it could on be interesting, it? yeah. Do you think Drummond could ultimately be like like a missing piece type for like why is Andre Drummond the missing piece? And if if the answer is we have to give up Montrez Harold to do it, do you worry that you're sacrificing such an important part of your team to add somebody who like Drummond? I mean, he might be the best rebounder in the league. He probably is the best rebounder in the league, but 
does Andre Drum? Would you rather just have Drummond, or would you rather have your known commodity of of Montrezl? The one thing about Drummond too is that it's it's almost like he's just being asked to do too much in Detroit. Like he's being given too too much of a leash to just do whatever he wants. Do you know what I mean? So if he's in L.A. and he's playing alongside two superstars in Kawhi and Paul George. Maybe that's the situation he needs to be like, look, I'm just going to rebound, block shots, rim run. I'm not going to do anything else. Almost like what Dwight Howard is doing for the Lakers this season, just more of it because he'd be starting for them, I'm assuming. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of intrigue in that and kind of what his role would look like in a, in a smaller, smaller role on that team. It just really depends on how much the Clippers want to mix it up, yeah. ultimately, because they're already one of the best teams in the league with what they have. But Drummond is a big name and a big piece, so that could, that could throw some... Uh, some interesting stuff into the Western Conference. I got a three-team trade for you guys that does not involve a big team for this year, but could decide next year's NBA title. Okay. Okay. So it's no secret that Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell want to play together, yeah. right? Two of them, maybe one day they get, they, maybe they get D-Book in there eventually, <laughs> they, three Musketeers together. Minnesota really wants D'Angelo Russell, right? Sac- what about this? So Minnesota gets their guy. Sacramento gets Jarrett Culver, Jake Lehman, and Jordan Bell. Culver being sort of the prize here, right? Because they don't want to lose Boyan Bogdanovich for nothing this summer. They probably don't want to pay him, and he's going to need to get paid. And then the Golden State Warriors get both Bogdanovich and Robert Covington. I feel like who is saying no to that? Adam Silva. Why is Adam Silver saying no to that? <laughs> Minnesota gets their guy. Sacramento gets a guy that was just a, uh, the fifth overall pick in a, in, a, in a promising wing. They lose their, um, their glut, so to speak. And Golden State gets two plug-and-play guys for when the Splash Brothers Because Golden back. State would win all for the next five years. That's why Adam Silver is saying no. But that's enough if you're Minnesota, right? So say it again. Minnesota is giving they're basic, up. They're basically giving up Jarrett Culver and Robert Covington to get D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the Sacram- I mean, they're already talking about moving Covington for what doesn't sound like to be much ahead of this trade deadline, um, whether it's picks or a rotational player or something like that. So. Is Sacramento getting anyone better than Jarrett Culver back for Bogdanovich? I mean, it depends on how good you think Jarrett Culver is going to be. I personally don't. Right. For I, some I'm people, not- I mean, guys, the top five pick in the draft. There's a lot of guys in the top five pick of the draft who haven't panned out great, but I, I don't know. I, I, so what else is Sacramento getting that again? Say it again, Culver. Culver. Jake and then Lehman. there, I mean, Jake Lehman, team friendly deal, three years left. Okay. And, and then just filler. I, I had Jordan Bell down, but it could be anyone. It's basically filler. I don't know. I say no for Sacramento for that, but maybe Minnesota and Golden State, maybe they sign off on it. It's interesting. I mean, for Golden State, I love it. The idea of having Covington and Bogdanovich in that, on that team with every guy, all the guys returning next year and everything is pretty scary. I feel like that the Golden State is the one team here with D'Angelo Russell that has the potential to do something that is, that is seismically important. And they're in, in no terms rush. Of the grand, right, and they're and no, they're no rush. rush. No, they're nice thing. This could extend, if they don't make a deal now, they could, I think there's been reporting that they want to see the two of him and Steph Curry play together, um, which is why Steph might actually return in March or whatever it is. So this could, you know, they could very well move him in the offseason ahead of the trade, uh, ahead of the draft or whatever. But th- that's a nice thing. They're, they aren't in a rush to move him, but you're right. It gives them a really very good opportunity to kind of retool and build around Steph, Clay, and Draymond again. 
yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where it takes a lot. First of all, kudos to you to kind of to think all to, to all these moving parts for, moving for, pieces, for, right? for, for three team <laughs> trade and, and envisioning who fits where. Um, that's definitely something. I, again, I think Sacramento is the hang up. It, it depends on whether or not they they how much they believe in, in Jared Culver, and that's why those scouts and those guys are paid what they're paid to do because they probably know way more about his potential than than we than we might. Um, but I've seen some flashes this year. He's had some moments this year. And if they decide to just believe in that and think that it's better than, like you said, losing Bogdanovich for absolutely nothing, then it might be something they could get swayed into believing. And maybe they have other moves, you know, on, on the way. It could be a, it could be one of those trade deadlines that seems very uh, stagnant. And then the last like, hour or two, just a bunch of things happen. So they might be make a series of moves because – they need to do something in Sacramento, given they have the longest playoff drought in the league, and it looks like it's going to continue because after all the promise they entered the season with, things ain't looking too good out I, there. I'll say so. two things. I think Culver fits in. Regardless of whether or not you like Culver as a prospect, as a player, I don't think there's any doubt that he sort of fits a lot. He slots into Deer and Fox and Buddy mm-hmm. Heald uh, stylistically better than Bogdanovich. Yeah. He's not nearly as good as Bogdanovich is right now, but in theory, he's the exact type of guy that you would want to slot with those two, with Marvin Bagley. It's, it's sort yeah. of just natural from a positional and skill set standpoint makes sense. The other, I mean, if look, I'm completely making this up out of thin air, but if Golden State trots out next year a lineup of the Splash Brothers with Draymond and Rocco and Bogdanovich, it is over. That's pretty scary. It is over. That's pretty scary. That team is nuts. Nice. That's why I said Adam Silva says no. There we go. (laughs) The 2020 trade deadline will be the day that the Golden State Warriors win the 2020-21 NBA championship. That's all we have for you today right here on NBA Sound System. For Scott Rafferty, for Gil McGregor, I'm Micah Adams. Keep it locked right here for more NBA Sound System all season long. See you.